It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today I'm speaking with Tanya Wills. She is a certified nurse midwife, the owner of Manhattan Birth, a childbirth educator, and before she was a midwife, she was a doula. This woman knows birth, and she's amazing. She actually did a podcast at the very beginning of this whole podcast uh, endeavor that I've been on about three years ago. And so you can, I'll make sure we link to that in the show notes. And this time Tanya and I are going to talk about what midwives really do. I think sometimes people hear midwife and they think, oh, it's like a doula, right? No, they're very different. So Tanya goes through all the different types of midwives, direct entry, certified nurse midwives, what you can expect from a midwife, really fun things. She's an amazing, amazing person and just a joy to talk to. And our history goes back a while ago that she and I actually went to the Boston Observatory, which feels like a hundred years ago in a different lifetime, a different career. So I think you'll enjoy this conversation with Tanya. Before we get to that, just a reminder that the teacher trainings are on their way. They're going. New York teacher training. We are halfway through. We're almost full for the Charlotte, North Carolina. We've got the Washington, D.C. one back in New York City in the spring and back to Richmond in the late spring. So it's an 85-hour teacher training prenatal. And Caprice and I have really put a lot of work and effort into it, and we're incredibly proud of it. And, and if I say so myself, it's a really solid program that puts out really solid teachers. So if you're a yoga teacher that wants to expand that knowledge, check us out. Also, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that way you get every week, you get our new podcast that comes out. And also we have a newsletter, so you get a little extra information and tidbits there. And also if you're enjoying it, hopefully other people will enjoy it as well. If you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to this podcast. Okay, I've gone through everything. So I think it's time to take a super quick break. And when we come back, enjoy my conversation with Tanya. Every year for my kid's birthday, my mom makes them a photo album of the pictures I sent her throughout the year. And it's fantastic and really a win-win for everyone because I am particularly horrible about executing and organizing projects like this. Now, even though my mom's the one doing the work of making the album, I still have to get her the pictures. And as a busy working mom, sometimes I find that task overwhelming. But this year, I think things are going to be different because I found a free photo sharing app. It's called Family Album. With Family Album, it has been so easy to share photos. I decide who I want my photos shared with, and every time I upload a new picture, my invited guests get a notification that new memories have been added. No more texting pictures, no more trying to shove as many pictures into one email. It has become so streamlined. Organization's also incredibly easy with Family Album since it sorts the pictures by the month taken and tells me how old my kids are in each picture. So I'm trying to get my mom pictures for the album. I can see, all right, I've got some in November, I've got some in December, I've got some in January. Organization's so much easier. I actually wish I had this app when I was pregnant so I could have watched my pregnancy evolve and seen how my belly grew instead of what I have is just some random pictures and actually not knowing where in my pregnancy I was. My kids also love Family Album because of the one-second movie highlights. Every three months, a short video collage is created using the best photos and video clips I have shared. They love seeing themselves in these movies, and I love seeing how much they've changed in just three months. 
and Family Album also offers free unlimited storage. I kid you not when I say I have over 5,000 pictures taking up storage on my phone and computer. By saving them on the Family Album app, I have freed up so much space on my devices, which has been a huge help. And did I mention all these great features and convenient photo sharing opportunities is completely free. Free. Family Album, you can find it through your favorite app store or search Family Album on Google. And remember, Family Album is all one word. So hurry up and go get this free app. Start sharing your memories with the people that you love. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, Tanya. How are you? Hi, Deb. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. How are you? I am so good. I remember the last time, I think you were within like maybe the first few months of me doing this crazy podcast and we were sitting on your couch and I think it was like halfway through the podcast, Ursula realized the mic wasn't working well. So I think we've upgraded things. (laughs) Yes. And it was like construction outside. It was like (laughs) clanking through the whole interview and you were like, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We'll keep going. But we've, we've, you know, we've grown in the last three years. So this is very exciting, but I'm so excited to speak with you again. And when, when I had some students ask me about midwives and the, like, what is midwifery? I'm like, well, I know the lady to talk to. So I'm so excited to have you as a returning guest. This is great. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. All right. So we're going to talk, what do midwives really do? (laughs) And so I guess we should start with um, just telling everyone a little bit about yourselves and I guess the trajectory to becoming a midwife, because those that didn't listen to the last podcast might not know that our background goes back years. We went to the Boston Conservatory together and now look at us. We're both birth workers. (laughs) Isn't it amazing? (laughs) It's funny. All right. So go. It's all about you. So, okay, well, I'll just talk a little bit about, you know, my trajectory. You know, my my background is as a performer, as is yours, Deb, and uh, I still love all of that, and uh, I'm a, a patron of the arts for sure. Um, but basically, you know, to make a long story short, you know, uh, my life was changed after I had a baby. So I had my first baby, and um, it was through that process. Basically, what I always tell people is that when I became pregnant with my first child, that that I, what I knew about reproductive health was I knew how to manage my period and like, I knew how to get pregnant and how to not get pregnant. And I had basically aced those three things. And so, you know, when I became pregnant, there was this sort of very natural journey that I went on. And I remember somebody in the beginning of my pregnancy saying to me, Tanya, like, what's your philosophy on birth? And I was like, I mean, I don't really have one. Like, I I don't know, you know? So I started thinking about it. And of course, you know, anybody who's listening to this who maybe is newly pregnant or is in their pregnancy can definitely say that this is something that changes throughout the pregnancy if you're just learning about being pregnant. And that is definitely what happened to me. You know, and I always tell people that like, you know, I've never run a marathon and my favorite food is Doritos. And like, you know, I'm not, there's nothing like exceptional about me. I didn't already know about this stuff when I became pregnant, but I had an OBGYN. And of course there are many wonderful OBGYNs uh, that I work with and that I love, but particularly the one that I was with. Um, I felt like I was kind of waiting an hour for my appointment and then going in and getting about six minutes of her time. And she was very nice. And I used words like, oh, she's no nonsense. She gets right to the point. And I actually felt like I wasn't getting any care. Uh, And I, it never occurred to me that I deserved care, even if I was healthy, that something was happening to me, even if it was going well. And I think that that's a message that, you know, I I almost felt 
selfish asking for, you know, for some kind of guidance from healthcare through this process. Um, so basically through a bunch of twists and turns, you know, people that I met that I spoke to, um, you know, I was working at a school at the time. So I knew many parents who had had babies and, uh, and, and, and so through talking to those people, I, I wound up in a childbirth class and that's where I met my doula. And I, I kept asking questions. And, uh, of course the business of being born came out when I was pregnant. So I went to go see it down downtown at the I think it was still the Waverly back then, but maybe it wasn't. I'm not sure. But I saw that uh, in the theaters and it was really, I was like, yeah, exactly. Which if you haven't seen the movie, it has a lot to say, but it was the first time somebody had actually presented to me that, you know, we could just check on you and check on the baby and then just, you know, say some nice things and see if a baby comes out. And if that doesn't work, then just like, you know, repeat, you know, and if anything, you know, goes wrong, of course, you know, you have your midwife there. So that's really where I learned about, about midwives, uh, and started kind of investigating that possibility. And so there's a longer story behind this, but ultimately, uh, I hired a home birth midwife when I was 34 weeks pregnant with my first baby. Um, and we had our first visit when I was 35 weeks pregnant, which was totally fine because I was actually pregnant forever. And because of that, we had many, 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 many visits. And then my son was born, uh, at home. Um, I was, more than 42 weeks pregnant. I had like a two day labor. He was nine pounds and I had no stitches. I got up and walked away from the whole thing. And I always say like, you know, I, I never, you know, I never like had a home birth cause I wanted to like have a spiritually transformative experience <laughs> or like, because I was like, that's what I was after. I literally just learned that this was the way I could get the model of care that I wanted. And that involved, you know, hour long visits with my midwife where she was not only asking about, you know, yes, of course she checked my blood pressure and I peed in a cup and she, you know, checked on my baby, but all of that portion took about five minutes. And then we had like a whole nother 45 minutes where we talked about what was happening to the gestalt of my life from that moment and then bigger. And I had never experienced that much listening and interest in my human development and my becoming who I was going to be in the next chapter of my life, which little, little did I know it was going to also involve a gigantic career change. But in any case, uh, when the baby was born, I will say that it occurred to me that I had never experienced quite possibly anybody in my life believing in me the way that my midwife did. And that was very inspiring to me. I had never seen that anywhere in the performing arts. <laughs> well, yeah, that's not necessarily there about you fitting into a peg, not creating the peg for you for the most part. Exactly. Every now and then you have the star that has that, but yeah. That's why I had never seen that anywhere. And, and, um, I thought I wanted to be a midwife, but, um, you know, I, you know, I have degrees with FA at the end of them. So we all know what that means. Uh, if you have that, it means you haven't taken science since high school. So I was already in my thirties and, um, I became a doula three months later. And then, uh, after that, and, and started teaching childbirth classes, as you know, that I do. And, um, and then after, when I became pregnant with my second baby, uh, about a year and a half later, later, I felt pretty confused convinced that I was being called to be a midwife. I felt this big pull that said, no, Tanya, you have to do more that you're, you, if somebody comes to you for care, you, they're going to know what they're going to get. And, um, I had my second baby and then a year later I applied to school and I was accepted. And then I went that when she was she had just turned two when I started nursing school. So my training, I went to Yale, um, and I already had a, I already had a bachelor's degree in something else in, in music. And I had a, a master's degree in theater and education. So, um, you don't have to have a master's degree in something else to go into midwifery, but here in the state of New York, midwives are licensed at the gra after completing a graduate program for the most part. And that graduate program, uh, needs to be at an approved university. So that could there's many universities here in the state of New York and, of course, out of the state that will do programs like this. Um, you have two options for becoming a midwife, a licensed midwife in New York State. And anybody who's licensed in New York is 
they, we all have the same license, which is called Licensed Midwife, LM. So if you see a New York midwife and they have LM next to their name, that means they're licensed in the state of New York. There's two different kinds of certifications that you can possess in New York that can lead to a license to practice in New York. That's either certified nurse midwife or certified midwife. I'm a certified nurse midwife. One is not better than the other. <laughs> um, it's just two different paths that ultimately, ultimately lead to the exact same midwifery education, privileges, midwives in that are licensed in New York State can all all do the same thing whether they were a nurse before they became a midwife or not. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So, I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. That's interesting. I actually thought that in New York you had to be, maybe it's New York City, maybe it's New York State. I thought you had to be a certified nurse midwife for New York State. Because I know other states also have other options. Let's actually jump to that, and then I have some other questions before that. But I do know that there's different types or different credentials for midwives. So you just talked about two. Can you oh my go? God, it's so confusing, Deb. It really is. And I've been in this world. Um, <laughs> so I know there's like direct entry. Like, can you go through? So if someone's listening to this and they're in New York, they know that they're going to have a licensed midwife or a certified nurse licensed midwife. But if they're just maybe over in New Jersey or all the way in Oregon, like what are the different different credentials. Okay. It's first of all, I just want to say that it is so confusing. And I think part of my own personal, like if I think back to my pregnancy, cause I know Deb, like you had your baby, you were already in the birth world when you had yeah. your baby. I was totally not. So, you know, if, if anybody is listening and they're thinking, oh, I didn't already know about this stuff. I don't understand what a midwife is. I think a midwife is somebody that can't really help me and is not safe or, you know, anything like that. I mean, you might think that because you just don't know. And, and I certainly didn't know. It was a journey through my whole pregnancy to learn that what I really was looking for was a midwife. All right. So, so actually then maybe before we go into that, why don't we, I'm back and I'm backtracking. Yeah. So yeah. why don't we actually first go through, cause you're, you made a great point. I know midwife, you know, midwife, but the listener may hear midwife because actually what I what I actually still get from like some of my mom's friends, they're like, oh, you were a doula, so you caught babies. I'm like, I shouldn't be. Um, so there is a confusion for a lot between midwife, doula. So let's actually first break into what a midwife is and also maybe the difference between the midwifery model of care and the traditional OBGYN. And then we can go into the different types of credentials. It's, it's so, and you know, it's so, it's so loaded, Deb, because you know, for, I think for people who are having babies who have never had to deal with this before and maybe had about the same knowledge that I had going into it, you know, or maybe in high school you received the like scary close up STI pictures, which is like the other thing. They, so what happens is we're just, we're not educated. No one's teaching us. And if you don't know somebody who has done this, you may have some ideas about what it is that are just not accurate. But of course now I intimately know <laughs> what the differences are. So, okay. So, um, in the United States, most people do have their babies with an OBGYN. Okay. Um, that is not true in other developed countries that are, you know, ones that we know about. So Canada, you know, most European countries and lots of other places. Um, what happens is most people who are having babies actually have their babies with a midwife. Okay. 
And most people have their babies in the hospital in developed countries, but usually with a midwife. And then if they need a doctor, they get one because a doctor, uh, an OBGYN is a specialist and specifically a surgical specialist. So of course they learn about normal birth, but of course, most of their training is in what I call rocket science, which is, you know, surgery, gynecological surgery is like all these complicated things that really, not to say that aren't useful for certain special cases when having a baby, but in terms of spending most of their time mastering what is normal and seeing that overwhelmingly over and over and over again, uh, that is not where the focus is. And quite honestly, it shouldn't be because if I'm an OBGYN or if I'm a pregnant person and I need to have surgery, I want to know that the person who is doing my surgery like, has done a bajillion of them. And actually, I recently had a student in my, my childbirth class who was a fourth-year OBGYN resident, and she told me to finish her residency. She has to complete 250 C-sections. What? Is- yeah. So what happens? I'm slightly diverting, just so forgive me. So what happens if she's at the end of her residency and she hasn't done them? Does she like? I I didn't ask her that. I I didn't ask her that, but she said that in in response to. to uh, somebody asking, well, how do I know that the doctors at my hospital are going to be good at C-sections? And she was like, oh, please. Like, <laughs> she's like, we've done so many of them. When we'll be All right, cool. So I won't you go know? off in my, my tangent of thoughts because I think I yeah. went kind of like yeah, a, it's, hmm. it's good to know. And it, I mean, of course, you know, an OBGYN, you know, their training is, you know, they'll go to college for four years and major in whatever they major in. And then they go to med school for four years, which is basically two years of didactic, which is like book learning, right? And then two years where they're rotating six weeks in every single department. So they're, you know, somebody graduates with an MD at the end of med school, but like, you know, they don't, they don't practice at that point. They've only had six weeks and, you know, a little bit here and a little bit there. So then they choose what they want to do their residency in. And then if they do OBGYN, they typically will do a four-year residency. And if they want to do high-risk OBGYN, they'll usually do a two-year fellowship in maternal fetal medicine on top of that. So that's like what I call 50 years old and having triplets, you know, (laughs) like we really need the big guns for that. So, so that's that. But the model of care here in the United States, it's a little bit American in this sense. You know, somebody once told me the American way is like, if, you know, if, if a quarter cup of orange juice is really good for me, then like three cups must be amazing, you know? And we sort of have that view with our most precious commodity, which is of course us having our babies because we're not familiar with what it's like. Much of the social exposure that we've had to it is from the media, which guess what? They don't freaking know what it's like either. And of course, anytime you watch a movie or TV or anything like that talking about pregnancy, I mean, look, they want you to watch. They're totally into the drama. But the truth is that being at a birth is mostly like being at a baseball game where nothing's happening. I mean, it's a lot of waiting until somebody hits the ball, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Maybe you have a hot dog, you know? But like, (laughs) it's like, there's a lot of that going on. So I think culturally and also because of our healthcare system, we sort of have this belief that if we spend more money and we use the most technology that we're going to get the best results. But even ACOG, the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they themselves know that there is just widely an overuse of most of the technology that we have. I think it's important that I do say that We do know that the existence of obstetrics does improve outcomes. So, you know, when used appropriately, there's no question that it can be life-saving, but not everybody needs that. So what a midwife does (laughs) is our training is in the health of women and babies and people with uteruses and their lifespan. And particularly, you know, when we look at a person's lifespan, you know, we always say from like, you know, from from birth to earth, from womb to tomb, right? Like we can take care of people who have uteruses and women. And um, that means we can take care of teenagers and full-grown adults and into menopause. And we see pregnancy and childbirth as a normal thing that will happen to most people. And it does happen to most people. I think it's like 88% or something like that of us will. Now, of course, there are times when people, you know, have twists and turns and they need to go other places. But a midwife 
knows what her scope of practice is or their scope of practice. Because, of course, you can be a man and be a midwife. You don't even have to be somebody's wife to be a midwife. <laughs> and there's no hyphen in the word midwife. It's just... Just one word. Yeah, it's, a, it's an old uh, English term that means with woman, but the truth is now it's with anybody who has any of these, who has a uterus, basically, and that's who the midwives take care of. Um, so so what that means is um, all midwives also work with doctors because there are certain things that we cannot do, but very few. So we don't do surgery. And usually we don't do things like vacuums or forceps, though in some rural areas you can do advanced training and be, have a vacuum as part of your uh, scope of practice. But here in New York City, midwives don't use vacuums. That's something that, a, that an OBGYN would do. Um, so basically what a midwife can do is prescribe medication, order labs, order ultrasounds, look at your chart, take care of you, all of those same clinical things that take very, very, very little time. But we do it sort of the the paradigm with which we do it is looking at it in terms of how is this affecting this whole person and how is it affecting their whole family so that is a holistic approach so that is is what we do is we take an, a holistic approach to what we do we combine what we know to be a good clinical practice and evidence-based care along with you know whatever uh, ancient midwifery we have learned because there's a lot of wisdom that has come before us and a lot of that is what comes into the holistic care and understanding really what people need when they're getting ready to have a baby or what people need when they need a pap smear. I mean, people come to me for a pap smear and at the end of it, they go, this was the best pap smear I ever. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I'm like, I know it's weird, but when you don't have to wear a paper gown and put your feet in stirrups, it feels very different. It really does. So talk to me about the biggest misconception about the care of midwives. You touched on it a little bit, but again, I feel like when I told people I was working with a midwife, especially, you know, family that, and as you mentioned, a lot of people don't have this education. They have kind of this, like, what is she doing? A lot of people really thought that, you know, what if something happens, what are they going to do? I'm like, well, they're really well prepared. So what other misconceptions have you heard as a midwife or that you just see in the general population? I mean, that's really it, Deb. I mean, overwhelmingly. And, and I have to say that I, I know that we're saying that people are not educated about what midwives do, but I, I have to blame, like, I have to blame my organizations for that. Like, why doesn't the public know? Why? I mean, maybe people have asked me, like, if I could wave a magic wand, like, what would I do? And I mean, what would I do? I would go in when they're four years old and just totally revolutionize the whole education, you know, uh, of, of I would say, boys and girls, of everybody, um, so that way they learn about their bodies in, in a different way. And it's not to say that there aren't educators who are trying to do that, but specifically around birth, you know, we've done such a good job, I think, of teaching, especially teenage girls, how to not get pregnant, that there's no sort of consideration for, you know, this deviant act of purposefully getting pregnant someday that most of us will do. Um, and there's nothing really in place to educate us uh, between there. So maybe I'll invent something. But in the meantime, um, I think, you know, when I knew somebody um, who a friend of mine growing up whose sister was having a baby before I was even pregnant a long time ago. And she told me that her sister was planning to have a home birth. And I thought, well, why on earth would you do that? Oh, she has a midwife. Well, what's the midwife going to do? I mean, what if something happens, you know? And I just thought like, you're just basically screwed if anything happens and you're with a midwife. And, and even in the hospital, I thought that I thought if you're with a midwife and something happens in the hospital, you know, how do they find a doctor? Like, how do you get taken care of? You know, I mean, this is what I thought. Um, and you know, we're laughing about it, but you know, what else would you think if you didn't understand how it worked? So Every midwife, um, of course, you know, whether you're choosing a midwife in the hospital or the birthing center at home, every midwife is going to understand uh, how to assess you and your baby for the best possible outcome. And one of the things that I always say is part of the difference in midwifery care is that, you know, typically the medical system will measure your outcome by whether or not you're alive at the end of it. And while I do think that that is really, really, really freaking important, 
most of the time we can do even better than alive. And that's what your midwife is trying to do is to get the best possible outcome for you and your baby. So I think a lot of people think that we do that with hoping and saying nice things, which of course we also do, but we also do it with all of the same tools that any OBGYN would have, plus some, plus we know you, plus we know your baby, plus we know how you interact with your baby. So when you call and you say, I'm noticing a difference in the way that my baby is behaving, you inside my womb, you can say, well, that's very interesting. She's already told me about this baby and this is something different. So we sort of have time on our side and time has value because we do know that for low risk people who are having babies, midwives actually get better outcomes than OBGYNs, fewer interventions, fewer C-sections, fewer NICU stays, all these kinds of things. So, um, it's really important that people understand, um, when they choose, when they say, I want to make sure I'm with a practitioner that is an expert in every piece of interventive technology that can ever be used, just know how they became experts in that. Mm, that's an By excellent doing point. it a lot. And also that's realizing that, heard. yeah, and realizing, I think also what you touched upon is if we don't know that interventions could be a bit of a downhill spiral, that people might think, oh yes, get the intervention. That must be helpful. It's like an upgrade, you know, so they don't necessarily have that information that interventions could actually lead to some issues instead of, oh yeah, it's just like an extra little something. So that's actually something I hadn't thought about. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, I think, again, it's really hard for people who are having babies to truly get educated about what an intervention is and how it can help you and kind of what the risks and benefits are of yeah. it. And it's, I don't, I don't have any problem with interventions. I mean, of course, midwives tend to be experts in the physiologic process of birth, and we're always looking to make things as physiologic as we possibly can, because, you know, birth works like we've been doing it for a bajillion years and have populated the planet. So we can kind of work with it and then use these obstetrical things to improve the outcomes. Right. But it doesn't mean that everybody needs But those that's what things. it is. I think sometimes we, interventions absolutely have their place because they keep, they really, when used properly, they can really help the situation. But I think they've become so commonplace that we yeah. don't step back and say, when is this actually needed? So, yes. Yeah, so, okay. Now I want to jump to the different type of midwives because I still am confused. Direct entry, you know, so nurse midwife. Yeah. Let's break it down. It is so confusing. Okay. So, oh God, just stop me anytime, Deb. All right. So, <laughs> okay. So we're, I'm just going to talk about New York state because New York state kind of stands alone in the way that it is. So okay. I think I already mentioned it. So, so if you want to be a midwife in New York State, you have to complete a master's level program. You might be a nurse. You might not be a nurse. But if you are not a nurse, there's a whole bunch of classes that you have to take to kind of get you up to speed with some of the same things that you would you would have learned as a nurse. I will say overall, there are so many things I learned in nursing school that were very valuable to me as a person, and I enjoyed it, but I never used them in midwifery. <laughs> so so uh, there's sort of, a, I think, like a myth out there that like, oh, you, you know, if you're a CNM, if you're a certified nurse midwife, then you worked in labor and delivery for many years and you worked in med surgeon and intensive care and all of this, none of this is required. You know, if you want to become a certified nurse midwife, you have to complete a nursing program. That's it. That's all you have to do. And then you can go to midwifery school, which actually is what I did. You know, my clinical experience, my experience around birth is is not as a labor and delivery nurse. It was as a doula. I mean, mm -hmm. that was really what it was going in. And of course I became a nurse and I, I gained some skills, but that was a mere formality. So, um, so a certified nurse midwife or a certified midwife will complete a two-year master's program in midwifery, which will cover um, gynecological care, how to take care of well people, birth control methods, um, and of course, label, labor and birth uh, and the postpartum and uh, how to take care of pregnant people and how to take care of a normal newborn baby in the first 28 days of life. Uh, so we are licensed to take, and of course, how to take care of people who are going through menopause and who are postmenopausal. 
how to screen for pap smears, how to test people for sexually transmitted infections. All of these things are things that we do. In the state of New York, we are allowed to prescribe medication, including controlled substances, and we are considered primary care providers, which means not only can I give you a prescription for a birth control pill, but I can also give you a prescription for an SSRI or Zoloft or Prozac or anything or your strep throat or whatever it is, we can treat you for any of those things. Um, so that is what it is in, in New York State. Certified midwives, certified nurse midwives sit for the same exact midwifery boards and they go through the same graduate level programs. Right now, there are only two graduate level programs that um, that take people who are candidates for certified midwife. And Deb, that is the direct entry pathway in the state of New York to become licensed, is to become a certified midwife. And you would need to either go to SUNY Downstate, or I think now it's, it used to be called Philadelphia University. Now I think it's called Thomas Jefferson University. So those are the only two programs that you can study um, to be a certified midwife. But it's important that your listeners know that as far as being a midwife and education, it is essential essentially exactly the same. Okay. So that's one big thing. Now, when you move to other states, so New York state, there aren't that many states left. I think there are about 20 states where, um, I think there are, I don't know how many other states there are, but maybe, maybe, you know, I don't know about 15 states where the only way you can be a midwife is to be a certified nurse midwife. And in some of those states, a certified nurse midwife also has to be supervised by a physician. So that's not true in New York and New Jersey and Connecticut. We can just practice independently. Of course, we have doctors we work with, but, um, in other states, sometimes a certified nurse midwife, you know, works under somebody else. They can't have their own practice. They need permission to practice. They can't write prescriptions, this kind of thing. Not the case here. Um, and then there's another kind of midwife that is licensed. I think it's about in about 30 states called the Certified Professional Midwife, the CPM, which is a credential that I, I think it's 30 states, and they also would be um, licensed midwives in the states that recognize that credential. So meaning the certified certification of the midwife is something that their particular organization gives them. Their state gives them a license. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So you can be a certified professional midwife in New York, but you can't practice legally because you won't have a license. Right. Or if you happen to also be a certified nurse midwife and have that credential, then of course you can practice. So one of my, I guess part of this is going from just my own history. One of my friends moved out to Oregon and went to midwifery school without yes. having the nursing degree and became, I believe it's called a direct entry. So the one that you were just speaking of where the state gives them the license, yep. what type of schooling might they have? There's several different pathways to become a certified professional midwife. So that's the certification that most of them will receive direct entry. Keep in mind, some direct entry midwives specifically in New York will be certified midwives. So that's that's the same as essentially what I have without the nursing. But in those other states, certified professional midwives can become that. Basically, there's essentially two pathways. One pathway is that you you go to a school that is approved by the National Association for Registered Midwives, NARM is what they call it. So you go to a, an approved school and you take some classes and you do some um, clinical experiences and you can become a midwife. And and usually the, the educational requirement to get into these programs is a high school diploma and plus you have to apply and all of these other kinds of things. And I'm sure many certified professional midwives have degrees in other things and midwifery and things like that. But you do come out with a degree in midwifery that may or may not be recognized by larger universities. It's a little bit, I mean, I hate, this is, I feel bad for my CPM um, friends and, and colleagues because, you know, they spend all this time and effort going to these programs. And then if they ever decide they, they want to go work in the hospital or something like that, they have to completely start over. So what happens is their education is provided outside of the hospital setting. So while a certified midwife or a certified nurse midwife in most cases can practice anywhere they choose, although in some states a certified nurse midwife can't do home birth, it's a whole thing, but not in New York. Um, it's so confusing, Deb. 
in states where you have licensed CPMs or licensed midwives or direct entry midwives, these kinds of things, um, those midwives typically cannot practice in the hospital. They'll usually practice in a birthing center or home birth only, and that is where their training will be. And of course, like there are pluses and minuses to that, right? Um, but that being said, somebody who has been through a really good program and has a lot of experience you know, can be very, very, very knowledgeable. Um, and in, especially in the states that pro, that have more schools and things like this that provide these kinds of programs, it's pretty, there's sort of a standard that is met, that is controlled by this organization, NARM. Um, the other way that they can become uh, eligible to sit for their certified professional midwife exam um, is by doing what's called the portfolio evaluation process, which is basically an apprenticeship program. They have a midwife that they follow. It usually takes somewhere between two and five years. Their midwife has, their preceptor has to check off on all of these skills and then they sit for the exam and then they apply to the state for licensure. Is there any other type of midwife or do we get them all? (laughs) There is. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. There's some states where midwifery is what they call illegal, meaning there are no regulations written for midwives. So it's like a layperson could do it almost. Well, yeah. I mean, essentially, it's not to say that anybody who's not licensed in an illegal state is a layperson. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they've got lots of training because who would go attend birth? I mean, you wouldn't, you would never want that. Right. You know, but the only issue with this, and and of course, if you're listening out of state, um, is that sometimes there are regulations in those states that prevent those midwives from carrying some of the medications and things that would really protect you in an emergency. So um, sometimes they carry them anyway. Like Pitocin? Because, yeah, like Pitocin, yeah. Sometimes they carry it anyway because they just say, you know... I'm not going to not carry this. They they get it and they carry it, and sometimes they don't. So when midwifery isn't regulated at all, that's sort of kind of sometimes what you face. And then, of course, in some states, Deb, just it's illegal. In some states, it's straight up illegal. I you know I recently had a client. I hope she's listening from Alabama, and she had two babies in the hospital in Alabama because it's it, it it just became legal. But at the time, it was illegal to have a home birth in Alabama. Her husband um, was going to do a cardiac surgery fellowship at one of the hospitals here. She called me from Birmingham and she said, "As soon as I knew we were moving to New York City, I knew I was going to get my home birth." Oh. <laughs> and I said, "You are," and it's. It's totally legit and your insurance is going to pay for it. <laughs> that actually also leads me, I'm kind of jumping. I have a list of questions, but that leads me to an insurance question. <laughs> All right. So I don't know how I got my insurance to cover both my home births. Um, I years ago, there was a woman who handled all of the, for a group of home birth midwives, the insurance. And even though my midwife was out of network, somehow she wrangled it that she was, we got a letter that she was approved to be an seen as an in-network. I actually laminated yeah. it because I was afraid it was wrong. So I'm like, I have it. So, <laughs> but one of the pushbacks I hear from some of my students, they're actually very interested in midwifery care. As you know, the birth center in Manhattan, you know, we're not, we're, there, there are problems here in New York City when it comes to births. But a lot of home births are not covered by insurance. So what can one do to handle that issue if they want to have a home birth? Is that only in New York? What's the situation that you know of? You know, actually, I think in New York, we do better than a lot of other places, to be totally honest. Okay. Um, you know, on my, I mean, just to speak about home birth uh, for a minute. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. So trying to access midwifery care is tricky for people. Um, but it's almost always doable, though not always, but almost always. Okay. So um, I'll just speak about home birth first, and then I can talk about midwives in the hospital. So uh, in case that's something anybody's interested in. So um, in New York, there is, you know, a statute on the books that says that people have the right to birth anywhere they choose um, and that they have the right to birth with a midwife and that that, that needs to be covered. 
Um, so some insurances will say we don't cover midwives, but in the state of New York, they can't say that. So they have to make exceptions for you in that case. And then in terms of them covering your home birth, they generally have to do that too. So I will tell you that like last year, maybe last year I probably did about, I don't know, 40 births. I think one person cash paid me. Everybody else, their insurance paid me. That's interesting because I'm hearing from my students that they really want a home birth, but they can't afford it. Their insurance isn't covering it. Um, I don't, I wonder who they're talking to. I think if you, that call, I have no idea. Yeah. So I think if you, if you call your insurance and ask them, the person you're going to get on the phone is probably going to tell you, no, you don't want to ask your insurance or look in your policy to see if they cover home birth. What you want to do is talk with a home birth midwife that you're interested in. And if you're here in New York, you know, I mean, I'm very happy to talk to you, but, um, <laughs> You know, we have a website, nyhomebirth.com, where you can search in your area and look through some of our bios and see who you'd like to speak with. Um, but if you speak to, her to that to that midwife, she can tell you about her policies around financials. And, you know, I know, I mean, you know, every midwife is different, but many of us do see the act of providing midwifery in general and certainly out-of-hospital midwifery as an act of social justice. Um, and so therefore we very much want to provide access for everyone who desires to have their baby, uh, with the type of care that we provide. So, um, what that means is we have billers that work with us and our billers can, can tell you exactly what to say when you call or they'll already know, oh yeah, your insurance will pay us. They already know. So, Sometimes you think, oh, I'm calling my insurance, but like it's less than 1% of the people who are having home birth. So they just don't know what to, to do with that information. Maybe that was the situation. They called their insurance. Because- and they just gave up. Yeah. 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 So don't do that. And then, and then I would say, you know, I think for most midwifery practices, there will be some kind of out of pocket payment, but for most families, it is affordable. And if, if it is not affordable, the midwife will almost always work with you to find something you can both agree on. There are exceptions. We do have midwives here that, you know, they charge what they charge and that's the kind of practice that they're running. But there are many of us who do it differently. And many of us even accept Medicaid as payment. So if you have Medicaid, and you're thinking you want to have a home birth and you're worried that your insurance won't cover it, I want to tell you that we get paid by Medicaid all the time. That is great. um, That is necessary. Not just great, but I I applaud you. And so I guess we can also, that shifts me a little bit into how the landscape of midwifers changed in New York and how you see midwives trying to improve upon what's happening, especially in New York with the birth uh, I guess the birth landscape and birth situation. Well, I know things are changing. I mean, they're always changing. It's exciting, Deb, isn't it? It's exciting, but I really feel that sometimes people think certain like midwifery cares only for a certain person. And what I loved hearing you say is that a lot of midwives are going to support whoever wants to show up on their door and be like, I want this type of birth. Yeah. I mean, if you're healthy, right? I mean, yeah, low risk, that's if, if true because you cannot take a high, right. You know, right. we don't want money to be the problem. I mean, look, we can't work for free, but don't forget that we take care of a wide range of people. So we sort of work, even though everybody will tell you, this is my fee. Everybody, uh, most of us will work on some kind of sliding scale that way we can help the people who are, you know, single parents or don't have jobs or, you know, these, these kinds of things. Um, I think in high Hospital midwifery is a little bit different and it gets a little bit tricky. You know, our, our best uh, in-hospital midwifery practices that take insurance outright and take almost every insurance are going to be at your at your city hospitals. That's like Metropolitan, North Central Bronx, Woodhull, Bellevue, these kinds of places. And they do an excellent job. These hospitals have the lowest C-section rates in the city. It is really impressive. And of course, these are the places that we bring people if we need to do a hospital transfer from home birth. Um, but some of the private midwifery practices here, um, 
here in New York, a lot of them don't take Medicaid and don't take certain insurances. Mm. And if you don't have out of network benefits, you can get in trouble there. So okay. um, that's when you just kind of have to shop around. I think, you know, Brooklyn Birthing Center takes almost every insurance. These So if you're feeling more comfortable in a hospital environment and you want midwifery care, but you can't go out of network, that's when you go to the midwives at Metropolitan. They're terrific. They really are. Oh, yeah. So you've been in the birthing world for, has it been like 10, 10 11 years? Like 11 years. 11 yeah. years. Um, what have you seen in the, and as guys, I like the word landscape, just the landscape of birth and midwives. Are you seeing more midwives? Are you seeing midwives leave the business? What are you seeing? Especially as we alluded to earlier, um, I still call it, call it St. Luke's Roosevelt, Mount Sinai West. Um, mid, uh, I still the, call it Roosevelt. There we go. <laughs> since, since that birth center left, what are you seeing amongst in the, in your career path of people? Yeah, I you know, and you know, I'm also a childbirth educator. So like I, you know, I see people who are birthing everywhere and I am uh, an unending optimist about this. And I truly believe that things are getting better. I do, Deb. I really do. Um, I think that there are more midwives. Um, Some of the midwives that, you know, were here in New York when I was having my first baby are retired or are retiring. I mean, Mm -hmm. these are my heroes, right? I mean, these are the people that really inspired me. My own midwife is about to retire. And who did you have? Marcy. (gasps) She's retiring. Okay. She is. She's two births away from retirement and she's just a hero. She's just incredible. And, you know, these midwives, you know, they were really doing something that had never been done. I mean, we're just kind of the next generation after them here in New York City specifically, you know, and and we learned from them. But I do see, I mean, I see more sustainable practices in the midwifery community, which means I see fewer solo practices and more duos that are working mm-hmm. together and specifically in home birth and in smaller hospital-based practices, you know, it is a lot. It's not sustainable for one midwife to do that in her whole life and have a life. So having two together is something that I'm seeing a lot more of. And I think that people feel better cared for. They have these really rested midwives who actually respond to them a little bit better. And, you know, that that feels really nice. Um, I think that because the birthing center at Mount Sinai West has closed and the birthing center at Lower Manhattan closed, although I'm not sure it was ever all that open. Um, <laughs> That's another topic. (laughs) That's another podcast. Um, but I think because of this, you know, people are using midwives, OBGYNs in the traditional labor and delivery floor, and they are learning to use their voices. That's so good. We need that autonomy. Yeah. They're learning, you know, I would have been in the birthing center. But now I have to be here. I mean, they, obviously they could choose home, but not everybody's there, you know? And I, I recognize that it's like 1% of the people are going to choose home. So the other 99%, you know, some of them may not care about their birth choices. That's a whole nother topic because I also think that part of the dark that we've left everybody in, even people who think they don't really care about the outcome of their birth besides being alive, may not realize that it had more meaning to them until it's over. And then they're, they're trying to make up for it and they're wondering, oh, they did all these things to me and I thought it would be fine and it wasn't. But, um, so I think that, that people are going to learn to use their voices. There are a lot more doulas and there is, I mean, since I, we know I had my baby in 2008, right? So if you just think about what has happened to social media alone since 2008 and the voices that are out there and the direct information that people can receive from people that are attending births right there in the hospital on the sidelines and can say, this is what I see is happening. If this is what you want, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to say. And I really do feel that those messages are getting across to people that are interested in receiving them. That's a big yes. To those that want it, it could, it could be there. I definitely, yeah. I think too, that like a lot of that old, the other thing that I'm seeing too, I would say in the birth community and in people who are birthing their babies is there. I feel like there, there used to be this sort of 
reaction, like when I think about like Ina May Gaskin and her wonderful books, you know, are all a reaction to the whole, like, put people to sleep and pull out their babies with forceps, right? So like that whole, like, we'll go to a farm and, you know, have your breech twins naturally, like groovy, like that whole thing was like a reaction to that. And I think what's happening now is a more modern take that is saying it's not a beauty pageant, no, you don't get a medal, but it has deep meaning and it will strengthen you and you are worth it and you deserve to, to glean whatever it is from this experience, whether you're in the hospital or at home, or if you get an epidural or you don't, or you need a C-section or you don't. But the idea that we can open our eyes and say, I own this experience. It is mine. And that I think we don't need Ina to tell us what we want. We can decide what we want and we can choose it. And we have those guides in place, the doulas, the midwives, the yoga teachers that have been to births, your podcast, all of this stuff available to us in a way that we didn't before. And that yes. I think is what modern childbirth looks like. And it's going to change the face of everything happening in the hospital. I totally agree. It was actually during, we just finished teacher training this weekend. And that was something we actually talked about. And I feel, you know, so my son is eight and I think there was a reaction right after. So between like when you had your first and I had mine first, there was the release of business of being born. And mm-hmm. a lot of people were like, rah, rah, home birth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, Honestly, if there was some, if there was like um, the freestanding birth center that we once had, uh, mm-hmm. if there was that option, I would have loved that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to, in full disclosure, having a home birth was because I didn't want a hospital birth and mm-hmm. I didn't have another option. Um, yep. You know, so it's not that I was like, I have to have a home birth. I was like, well, I don't know where else to do it. Cause I, and as a doula, I had been to hospital births and that's not where I personally felt safest. Yeah, Again, yeah. it's different for everyone. So that's my, I'm going to own that. That's me. Yeah. So I feel like around that time, there was that slight attitude of, I did it at home. I did it drug-free. Give me the medal. And, yeah. and, and I could just be, this could just be in my head. And now I feel like in the last maybe six to five years, things have shifted more to, it doesn't matter how you birth, as long as you made that choice and you have the support and you're, you're part of the decision-making, which is deliciously exciting to me. That so exciting because of how it elevates everybody. Yes. Because we really, ultimately, after the baby is born, we are all in this together. Yeah. And the you whole know? goal is not to come out traumatized. That's one of my main goals for my students, but to feel like they had their voice, no matter what their choice is, as long as they understand the, where they're coming from and why they're making these choices or not even that it's their choice. It's their body. It's their birth. We want to support that. And I really think there's been a shift. So when we were in teacher training, cause I do have them read some of the older books. Of um, course just to get that history, I have to tell them, like, don't just drink the Kool-Aid, realize that we need to support all of the choice. Because sometimes they come out and like, you can't demonize medicine because it's there for a purpose. We just want to give the options to the students, which means you need to know some of the other options. Like I have them write an essay on home birth. And most of the time I'm like, well, what do you want? And I'm like, well, I want you, if a student says, Hey, I'm thinking about this, they should be able to have a conversation about it. So it's exciting to see that shift too of, of really um, wanting to support everyone's choice and encouraging yeah. people to make a choice. It really is exciting. And, you know, I think, I think Deb, to your point in terms of, you know, not having that birth center option so much in New York city. I mean, you know, we had those two in hospital birthing centers, but as you well stated, that is the hospital. I mean, no question. Well, like Elizabeth Seaton would have been you know? a lovely thing to have. For those that don't know, that was yes. a lovely yes. freestanding birth center down in the village that went away, <laughs> as did um, St. Vincent Hospital, which supported it. And it's it sad. did. And, and so have many other uh, types of I don't know, ideas and creations that we had hoped would become uh, freestanding birthing centers. And of course, we do have the Brooklyn Birthing Center, which, you know, is very deep into Brooklyn. But I think it's important that listeners know that, you know, I think that 
which is that home birth midwives bring with them all of the exact same equipment that they have in the birthing center. <laughs> um, and most New Yorkers live five or 10 minutes from the hospital. Oh so yeah, I was a few blocks. Yeah, so. You're actually doing fine. But the, the freestanding birthing center, of course, works really well for people who maybe don't have a home they can birth in or that they don't feel safe birthing in, right? So that's those are both valid. And then, of course, the other thing as well is if you live in a more rural area where, you know, maybe you live an hour from the hospital, but the birthing center is five minutes from the hospital. And then you can go have that, you know, more holistic experience in closer proximity to the hospital. Yeah. It's sad that some of our options in that way are being taken away. That said, I had an amazing birth posse that made my births wonderful. And I just hope that However, someone's envisioning their birth, they get the support they want. All right, we're going to take a super quick break. And when I come back, I'm going to ask you one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents. All right, we'll be right back. Did you know that new babies require changing 10 to 12 times per day? That's 3,500 disposable diapers being added to our landfills by their first birthday. Growing a healthy human doesn't have to be unhealthy for the planet. Assembly is a reusable diapering system that equips families with everything they need to diaper sustainably, from diapers to skin care and laundry. Assembly products are designed and formulated with thoughtful conveniences that strike a balance between minimizing environmental impact while also being a solution that works in the face of real-life parenting. How a Family Diapers is one small choice among many. Assembly inspires parents to question the way things have been done in the past and empowers them to make choices that have a positive impact on their family, community, and world. And rest assured, if you live in New York City or the Hudson County, New Jersey area and don't have easy access to washer dryers, we've got you covered. Our cloth diaper service, Diaper Kind, does the laundry for you and delivers fresh, clean cotton diapers to your doorstep every week. Learn more at assemblybaby.com and diaperkind.com. That's E-S-E-M-B-L-Y baby.com and diaperkind.com. And use the code prenatalpodcast10 for 10% off your first order. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we're back. All right, Tanya. You already gave so many amazing pieces and tips of advice. So is there anything from your years and years and vast experience that you want? You're like, where to go with this? <laughs> is there something you want to throw out? Oh. I mean, I could talk to you about this. I mean, I could be the entire subject of your whole podcast for the next month, but, um, (laughs) but I'll say this, you know, having taught childbirth education to people for the last, you know, 10 years, you know, mostly to people who are birthing in the hospital, let me say to you with no equivocation that this belongs to you. This belongs to you. If you are educated about it, which you can, you certainly, you know, you can access that information and there are things that you want, that you want to be known by your medical team, by your midwife, by your OBGYN, by the nurse that you just met, by the resident that just walked in the room, by the lady changing the garbage, whatever is happening in there. Make no mistake that you are renting the room for the day and it is yours. And everybody came to work that day to help you and they know it. They're there to help you. They mean well. Do not be afraid of the people that have come to help you on one of the most special days of your life. They don't know you. They don't know who you are. You have to tell them. And don't say you're sorry for being who you are and wanting what you want. It matters. You deserve it. Practice with your partner how you will ask for things that you need. 
and how you will feel empowered to do so. And to just say, if you feel that you've got a doctor that's got their hand on the door in your visits and you've got 10 questions, you can just say, I really have a lot of questions. Are you too busy today to answer them? And if you are, when can I come back and have a chat with you? Mm, And just start exercising those rights, practicing that. So that way, when you get to the birth, you feel comfortable. And I say this because most of us have never interfaced with the healthcare system before having our first baby. Nobody there is going to think you're a pain. Nobody is going to think you're a bad patient. They are going to enjoy providing you with care that you deserve. This belongs to you. Know it in your bones. That is fantastic. Wow. I'm, I'm speechless on that. Where can people find all the amazing work that you do? Cause you have so many layers of what you do. Yeah, we wear a lot of hats around here. So our website is manhattanbirth.com and you can find out everything that I do and learn more about me there. We offer childbirth uh, education classes and parenting classes, parenting support groups. We also offer a one-year training program for doulas that is very rich that we're having a great time providing. And of course, I'm also uh, a midwife and I work in practice with another midwife, Robina Khalid, and we have a practice called small things grow, but you can link to that through Manhattan Birth. And if you just want to get in touch with me or chat with me, you have questions, just contact me through the website. Thanks, Deb. Oh my gosh. I love to, I have to like, I'm keeping an eye on the time because I know I could talk to you forever and ever and ever and ever, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to honor your time. Thank you so, so much for being here today. My pleasure, Deb. Thanks for all the work that you do as always. Thanks. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.